Today's episode of Damn Good Podcast is brought to you by Game Time. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think Georgia tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with Game Time, the ticket buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. Game Time is the leader in last minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download the Game Time app in the App Store or Google Play, work that clock to your advantage, and score last minute tickets. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Damn Good Podcast, talking about Georgia's damn good win over Florida over the weekend. I am Seth Emerson. Over there is Rennie Current. Rennie, how you doing this fine post-Florida, Georgia, Georgia-Florida cocktail party week? It was crazy. Uh, weekend start for me. It started on Thursday, so uh, yeah, it was nuts, man. Uh, interview after interview, and of course, uh, all the parties and events and everything going on. So my voice might crack a little bit. So I apologize in advance to everybody listening. You sound good. Okay, well that's that's yeah. The, the good news is yeah, you sound good right now. Yeah. <laughs> to start, if you crack a little bit later, we'll we'll just you know we'll, we'll just keep we'll it moving. It. Yeah, um, yeah. I want to ask. I want to ask you later about what this weekend was like for you getting inducted in the Hall of Fame and just all these events Definitely. and everything. Um, but first, let's just get into the game. Um, now, I, I see this game for Georgia. It was a momentum changer. It was kind of a season reset in a lot of ways. I, I think it's in a lot of ways also a big perception changer. And that's even though I thought Georgia was going to win. I predicted them to win by seven. They won by seven. But when you see it happen, it still means more, doesn't it? It, it still alters your – you say – I told myself this Georgia team could still run the table and go 11-1 and starting with beating Florida and go into the SEC championship game looking like a team that could go to the playoffs. But we need to see it happen after some lackluster performances. And they played their best game, I think, they played the best team they've faced this year, and they played very well on both sides of the ball against them. And, and so I saw this as a perception changer. How much did you have your perception changed, Rennie, on, on this Georgia team? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, for me, my, my perception has always been that this is a very talented, explosive team. Uh, we have all the right tools. And the biggest thing for me was are they reaching their potential? You know, that's the thing I've been talking about these last couple of weeks is I know they have it in them. And when you're around them and, you know, I had a chance to even be in the locker room after, these guys never doubted themselves. Yes, they've had some lackluster performances, but at the end of the day, they know what they have. They know the talent. They uh, they believe in each other. They believe in Kirby. I mean, you can see it in their eyes, man. Um, so, so that I never doubted. It was just whether that team that I know was there was going to show up, and they did. And uh, I think that had a lot to do with the bye week, which, you know, last week we talked about that, just how crucial that is in terms of the young guys being able to, uh, and the older guys, the, the team as a whole, being able to go back, look at their mistakes, correct those wrongs, um, get that mental rest that they need, uh, mental and physical rest that they need, 
um, build that trust uh, with their coaches. I mean, so many things happen during the bye week that you don't uh, really get to see that plays such a huge role. And I knew that, you know, if they were able to utilize that bye week and that time off, uh, that time to recommit themselves to each other, that we were going to see a new team emerge, which we did. So I'm excited for their success, man. And I know that this is only going to build uh, momentum for the future. What did you see in that locker room after the game? How would how would you describe what you saw? Man, it's just camaraderie, togetherness. I mean, it really reminded me of what, where we were back in 2007 when everything just started to come together. And, um, you know, you could just tell, man, they're not phased. And which we, we were the same way, man. When we played, we knew that it was us in the locker room that – uh, that was what mattered. It wasn't about the chatter. It wasn't about necessarily what the fans said. We, we love the fans, of course, but the minute you allow yourself to start paying attention to the newspaper clippings, the ratings, uh, what, the, what the fans think you should do, even what we're saying right now, the commentators, um, that, that will impact your performance, man, and, and just your overall uh, chemistry as a team. So that's, that's what you can see in that locker room is a group of guys who are fighting for each other who believe in what their coach is trying to do, uh, who who believe in what they're collectively uh, aiming for, man. So it was inspiring to see. I love uh, being back in there, man, because once, once you're done playing, that's those are the things that you miss the most. People ask me, you know, what do you miss most about the game? And I'm like, man, it's it's those moments in the locker room after you fought your ass off and, and you get to just be around your teammates and celebrate, man, and, and you are reminded why you work so hard, man, because it's not easy at all being a student athlete whatsoever, but those moments make it all worth it. Yeah, you could sense that, that there was this chip on their shoulder kind of attitude about what they had been hearing over the last few weeks, which, by the way, the criticism was legitimate. I mean, there, there may have been some stuff that was, like, ridiculous, that was over the top, um, depends on who was saying exactly what, but, look, you lose at home to South Carolina – people aren't going to just say, well, they had some bad breaks on turnovers. This is still a great team. No, they were going to say, you got to get better at this, you got to get better at that. And then you follow it up with the Kentucky game. I think the booing had a bit of big effect. When the home fans booed them going into halftime of that game, I, I, that, you know, that, that's not noise. That's not people on social media. That's not you know, you and me talking on a podcast and me writing stuff online. It, it's that's your home fans booing you. And maybe we'll be ready to be able to draw a line from halftime pre booing uh, to afterwards because they were 21 nothing after that in Kentucky and 24 17 against Florida, but it wasn't that close. There were three field goals that could have been touchdowns that were in the red zone or close to the red zone. And there was a touchdown called back, the swift touchdown called back because of the Matt Landers hold. Um, so it, it, Kirby seems to, he, he is, he's got rabbit ears. He, and I've covered him for four years now, and he will always say things in press conference that makes it obvious he knows what's being written, what's being said out there. This press conference afterwards, it was like rat-a-tat, rat-a-tat, rat-a-tat. Like, you know, cracks about, you want us to throw to the tight end. Um, you guys think it's boring when we just run the ball up the middle all the time. Uh, the, the, the crack about fans saying, you know, when he was given a softball question about how great was it to have the fan support, and he talked about, oh, yeah, it was great to have him here, even if they didn't think Jake could throw the ball. It was, there, there was, it's obvious that, number one, I think, 
Kirby feels this, but I think he's also using it as fuel for his team. He's got a very talented team that he apparently thinks needed an energy boost, and maybe they've gotten it now. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. And that's that's part of the game, man, is the chatter that goes on. That's always going to be there no matter what. That's just the nature of the beast. And so, yeah, you do have to find ways to use that as fuel and use it as uh, something that uh, is indirectly positive, man, that, to keep your guys um, reminded of the fact that, uh, as he says it, uh, humility is one Saturday away, I believe is a saying that he says. But, yeah, that's that's always going to be there, and the players have to know the success, yes, is good, but you're, you're always you know, having to stay on top of your A game. There's always going to be people talking. There's always people um doubting you regardless of how how good you are so i think that's that's key that's something that motivated uh motivated me while i played is you know no matter how good i did i had somebody saying oh he's undersized you know i had somebody saying what i couldn't do and so that's that's something that as as an athlete you learn to internalize in the right way um and and when you go into other opponent stadium it, it just gives you that extra edge it gives you that chip on uh your shoulder like you said before so i, I think it's important man you can't have a successful team without it. It's the old Michael Jordan thing. He would invent things in his mind to motivate him. And and Kirby does that a lot. I mean, there there is manufactured stuff. And this is where they get, I think, a lot of times cooperation from the fan base and from certain media outlets who like to blow up things that are said by opponents and coaches, which are actually, like, harmless and a lot of times just taken out of context. But Kirby and players, they'll use it. They'll say, oh, okay, <laughs> you know, we're going to run with it. You know, And I, I heard that he was telling the team during the week, nobody's given us a chance to beat Florida. Nobody believes in us. They were favored by a touchdown. I picked Georgia. A lot of people picked Georgia. But whatever you need, whatever people need. Um, but and, and there was legitimate stuff. Now, the reaction to his crack about the fans didn't think Fromm could throw the ball was interesting because there were some who were like, yeah, tell him, Kirby. And there were others who were like, well, that's not fair. We were saying that Coley couldn't call the plays well and, and they couldn't utilize him right. Um, it, you know, it depends on who you were talking about. Kirby, I, I, I do think playing with fire a little bit when you go after the fans, I, I recognize as a media person, I don't like it when coaches and players attack the media and like sometimes personally, um, but – I get it. I get why they do that, because it's easier to attack media members and, quote unquote, the media, as if we're one big entity that thinks and acts alike, um, because that's the way you can go after the public and the fans without going after the public and the fans. And people love to beat up on the media. We're a pinata. I get it. We're the in-between. But a lot of times we're the ones that are just asking the questions that the fans want answered, and we're reflecting the viewpoint of a lot of fans when we're criticizing and asking tough questions and everything but this time Kirby went after the fans he said even if the fans didn't think Jake could throw the ball that's that's playing with fire a little bit um so you know but if you win you can do it and I I think Nick Saban has done that kind of thing before too I don't remember him doing exactly that but he probably has I know he goes after the fan attendance at Alabama all the time especially to student attendance but it was interesting. There was there was a lot of chippiness. Uh, you, you, I guess you saw it in the locker room and some other places. I, I saw it in interviews and the press conference. Lot. This this team realizes they've been called out. Deservedly so, they were called out. But they now have this fuel, and maybe this fuel is going to be what 
gets them to 11 and one and into the SEC championship game. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you, man. I, I think uh, as a play, you know, as a former player, man, and my experiences, um, that is part of the psychology is, um, and and part of building that camaraderie as a team is having somebody that you look at, whether it's a group, whether it's the naysayers, and it's not necessarily the fans. Like when he when he says things, it's, it's not necessarily to target all the fans. You know, it's it's those certain groups of fans who and fans and non fans who are the naysayers. So that's the your adversaries that you're always competing against. Those people who doubt you, those people who don't think you're worth the crap. Um, so it's not necessarily to say you know the bulldog uh, nation isn't you know where it needs to be or anything like that. Criticizing them because in the same breath he'll he'll say we have the best fans in the world. You know, so it's just like one of those things that the you know the shoe doesn't fit. You know, don't don't let it apply apply to you essentially. So. Um, yeah, it's like I said, it's it's part of the game, man. Just um, having that adversary, having those things that keep your mind right, so you don't get a big head, so you don't start feeling yourself. Um, and I, I think this team definitely has is brought them closer because, like we said before, they know what they have, they know what they have the opportunity to do, uh, and at the same time, all the criticism that's come is is I believe it's only there. The things that I've said even have only been said because I know the level of where this team can be. You know, when I look at guys uh, in, in several different positions, man, I'm reminded of guys that I played with and just uh, the, the level of talent that we had. So I know that if this team continues to come together, uh, if they continue to do the right things, that they're, they're going to be, I mean, talked about as one of the best teams. They could, they still have the opportunity to do that. I mean, from the kicker to the offensive lineman to the defense, they, they have so much potential. So that's where... You know the the criticism. I think when you look at the fans, even the ones who are criticizing, that's that's where it kind of stems from is more so of what we expect from them. Right, you're going to get that criticism because expectations are higher, and maybe the character of this team is changing by necessity because you the, the goal is to win, and it is to fulfill the. Uh, potential, the full potential of your team. And when you look at this team's talent and depth, you can't say anything other than it's it should be there with Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, you know, Oklahoma, we said before the Kansas State game. But, it, you know, it, it, it's good enough to be in the playoff. And you're, you're losing at home to South Carolina when you're having a lackluster home win over Kentucky, tied at zero at the half, no matter what the inclements. And in retrospect, didn't really – blow the doors off Notre Dame, uh, had some s- troubles with even Tennessee for a little bit. Yeah, you're, you're looking around and saying this team isn't fulfilling its potential. And different stuff, and you know this better than me, Rennie, fuels a team and a team's chemistry and a team's locker room. And the 2017 team, what fueled that was just leadership, veteran team leadership and a sense of we're kind of sick of just being – okay and when they started to win and win more and that belief fed itself into something and and there was a joy about it there there weren't they weren't really there weren't naysayers to you know rail against this year there are narrow naysayers to rail against and maybe that's what's going to be what fuels this team um yeah maybe kirby senses that that this team full of talent and full of guys that have been used to winning was feeling a little entitled and 
Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll see. We may This may seem laughable in a few weeks if they go and lose to Auburn or or don't you know, even lose another game we don't expect. But maybe that South Carolina game was the best thing to happen to this team. Yeah, I mean, every team, uh, just to piggyback off of that, every team has to find, like, their own identity and their own kind of narrative that plays out through the season. For some, you talked about, you know, what motivates them. Some, it may be a death that happens or some tragedy that happens that sparks you know, that emotion that carries them for the rest of the season, or it may be that their coach, his job is on the line. You know, uh, you could look at teams in the past and see how that kind of sparked emotion. For this team, it is that that uh, being the underdog, having a chip on their shoulder, not getting caught up in a success type of narrative. And I think that's huge, man. I think you have to have uh, a collective belief in something as a team that you're fighting for. And it can't, it has to be bigger than just the wins. You know, it has to, it, it gets to a point where it's psychological. Um, so it's not just about the, the wins and the losses. It's about just that pride that you have, that respect that you have, that belief that you have um, player to player uh, wise. And then just believing in what your coaches and, and the overall uh, culture of what you're trying to build, the tradition, the legacy that you're trying to leave. So that's that's where you get to that psychological piece that adds to that fuel um, as well. And I think, you know, when you have the loss to South Carolina, when you have the fans booing, I don't care what, what fans may say, they can say all day that, oh, we're, we're booing the coach, we're not booing the players. When you have a collective unit like that, where they're together every single day, they believe in each other. If you attack one person, you're attacking all of them. So that's, that's what people need to understand. So it's not, oh, you can just boo the coach and think that the fan, I mean, the players aren't going to be affected by that. You're effectively booing the players as well too, no matter what you try to say or how you try to curve it. So that that uh you know just fuels that fire, that builds that uh, type of adversary mindset, which I mean ultimately helps, you know, uh, at the end of the day. So as long as they use it in the right way. It was I wrote about this. Uh, this was my lead to my post game story, but it, it's funny to kind of I guess maybe tell the story on the podcast. Um, it, it goes to the coaches too. Uh, I talked about Kirby and his very kind of chippy press conference where he made clear he'd heard almost it's almost like a lot of times with Kirby you you expect him to come in and start pointing around at the room and say all right you wrote this you wrote this you wrote this um, and sometimes he embellishes and exaggerates what was written and everything and you know that's fine um, but as the game ends you know, so the press box is set up to where Georgia's coaches were on the far end of the press conference, and so they have to walk a long way to the elevator. Um, most writers, as the game is ending, are still writing. I have the luxury, working for the Athletic, of I don't post a game right when the story ends. So I go down to the field earlier than everybody, and we can't go down to the field. So I ended up at Jacksonville, we can't go down to the field. So I ended up going up to the elevator at the same time as Georgia coaches are making their way to the elevator. And I hear Todd Hartley, the tight ends coach, kind of saying not too softly in the direction of the media, a lot of quiet people up here right now. And just in case nobody heard it, as he's walking, like for the next group over here, a lot of quiet people up here. And, you know, that's that's funny. You know, I, we're, it's not like we're expected to be saying, hey, you know, <laughs> Let's have a celebration for Georgia or whatever. It's a more professional atmosphere than that. But, you know, he felt that chip. Um, and then I, I, then James Coley comes a little bit behind him, and Coley just looks at me and says, sure makes a big, big difference to have number 15 out there, huh? Mm. And I'm like, yeah. I guess. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. And so he was, he was – Coley was the one that you'd be expecting to say, hey, yeah. 
look at me now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but instead, he was just kind of, you know, players, not plays. Going back to what he said in the preseason about what he's going to be like as a play caller. But, yeah, I mean, the, the coaches feel it, and it goes down to the players, and this is kind of the character of the team now. We'll, we'll see how long it lasts, especially when they're going to be favored by whatever it is this weekend against Missouri. And already with Auburn not looking that hot, uh, barely beating Ole Miss at home, um, you're going to see some – the narrative is going to turn again, Rennie, back to Georgia's going to be 11-1 and going to the SEC championship. And so maybe someone needs to write some bad things about Georgia to help them out a little bit. Now, I mean, I, I would uh, agree there that that narrative will change, uh, you know, as far as the media uh, and fans is concerned. But as far as the players, man, I don't see that narrative changing for them at all. Like that South Carolina – game was too too real of a reminder of how you can be humble very quickly especially in the sec and i know kirby's gonna week to week be reminding him, uh, them of that as well too so from that i mean i think that's probably the, the biggest blessing that we had earlier this season was losing that game because it's going to be i mean it's, it won't just be something that's said something that's just a concept but something that they've experienced which uh, experience is the best teacher <laughs> so i know they won't want to have that again um, but you mentioned you know cager man and just going to the players because we haven't talked much about the, the performance man but i mean when i i was on the sidelines for this game of course uh with, with getting honored uh for the hall of fame but when i looked up and i saw 15 was in the game i was like oh yeah we good we're, we're good i just had this feeling of peace just knowing and he did not disappoint man i, I caught uh, it was crazy because every time i had a feeling that we were going to do something big we did and I was sure to pull out my phone every time I had that feeling. And I caught that uh, play where Fromm threw it to Cager. Um, it was, we were maybe about 10 yards from scoring, but he fell from behind the, the defensive back and made this, like, circus catch. And I caught that on film. Like, I like you couldn't get any closer than I was. It was the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life, man. That the one that got reviewed? Yeah, that was the one that got reviewed. Killed. Like, I was literally yeah. right there, saw the ball leave Fromm's hand to Cager. Cager, like falling, like I was maybe like three feet away from or five feet away from Cager. Did it look like a that. catch? Because on it looked like a catch, man. The Florida people are not happy about about how that review went. It looked like I don't know. It just looked like something out the Matrix, man. It was crazy. I don't even know how to explain it. I don't know how you caught that ball because it, from my point of view, it was like I saw the ball coming, but I couldn't see Cager. You know, the deep, the uh, Florida defensive back was covering Cager, so it's like he somehow just fell from behind him and was able to, like, get eye contact on the ball in, in like, .3 seconds enough to catch it. I was just like, man, this is crazy. This is like some Spider-Man. And that was Georgia's <laughs> second-best catch of the day. Oh, yeah, right. It's the, like – After after the Harrion one. Right. <laughs> yeah, I was proud of 3-5, man. He, he made our number look good right there. That was amazing. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean – He's made he, – Harrion – there might be some NFL teams looking at him going. Oh, without a doubt. We ought to look at it, maybe even as a receiver. Yeah, receiver. I mean, uh, he, he even did well, you know, with, with the return, kickoff return. Special teams is how you eat early on in your career. So I definitely think uh, Harry is starting to show potential that he has uh, to, to play at that next level. So he's, he's doing some really, really good things. So, yeah, and I, I guess we don't want to, like, shirt totally like you said the the actual players and the x's and o's part of it um talking so much about kind of attitude and the mentality part of it um 
I, I, I don't. I think you and I are both on the same page about the offense and that the play calling finally really went to the the strengths of the offense and got playmakers the ball in space, just like DeAndre Swift had been talking about. Uh, why that happened and why it took until this, uh, you know, we could go an entire podcast about. But they did what they needed to do. I want to ask you as a defensive player. Georgia's defense continues to – and I've been skeptical of the idea that this is an elite defense because of who they've played. And I'm I'm still not putting them in, like, one of the top five defenses in the country. They, they faced a Florida team that just does not run the ball well and did not run the ball. But, man, you know, nobody can run on them. Um, I'll be really curious to see what they can do if – and it looks like they are going to play Alabama or LSU or somebody that can run the ball better. But And I still worry about their defense over the middle of the field, the pass defense. But, man, this, the, that front is stout. You've got, some, you've got some dudes on the defensive line, and then you've got some inside linebackers in Tay Crowder and Monty Rice and an outside linebacker in Aziz Ojolari who are just really heady, smart, nose-for-the-ball linebackers. And that that combines to make a really stout run defense. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I'm loving what I'm seeing from them. Like you said, there are still a couple areas, and you're always going to have that as a defense, man. I don't care how, how good you are. Um, you're going to have those areas of concern or areas of weakness that you always need to work on. For us, like you said, it's the pass over the middle, stopping those tight ends, especially on those drag routes, those deep drag routes. Uh, we're definitely going to have to find an answer to that. And then I think, too, with the defensive backs who, who had a much better performance in this game, at the same time, there were some penalties that were uh, of concern and some uh, areas where we can't work on, like when there's a deep pass, not uh, you know playing the basket, making sure that you're locating the ball and, and not just getting kind of lost out there, which can cause uh, those penalties that we saw, the, the pass interference penalties. Um, but overall, I mean, like you said, we got some dogs out there. I, I, I talk about Aziz Ajilari all the time, and nobody knows, like, that's my guy. <laughs> and he, is, he sure enough got, like, I believe the first sack of the game. Uh, and then um, we got Tyson Clark. Uh, we got uh, so many playmakers, man, that uh, are, are now stepping up, man. And it's, it's exciting to see Tay Crowder. He's been a consistent playmaker for us the entire uh, year. Monty Rice, Richard LeCount. Um, you know, all those guys are really showing up and making big plays. So I think as long as they continue to improve week to week, we definitely could be talking about, you know, having one of those top defenses because they got the talent. That's that's for sure. It's I mean, it's all about winning the game. And I think this defense is playing well enough that when they play Alabama or LSU, they can give Georgia's offense a chance. That's the way I would put it. They're not going to hold Alabama and LSU. They're not going to hold Joe Burrow or Tua, especially, you know, Tua has that running game and Najee Harris to turn to also, um, and LSU isn't too shabby either. They're not going to hold those teams to 14 points or less. But if you hold them to 20 points or less, you give Georgia's offense a chance to win the game. You give them – you get off the field enough, you give Georgia's offense a chance to – uh, you know, help you out and get better field position, and and it, that's I think that's the optimistic thing about this defense is is it is improved in my eyes there. Um, yeah, I, I still I th- I think they need to get Tyson Campbell back because they're they're struggling with the nickel and the dime coverage, and 
if Tyson Campbell gets back, does that allow DJ Daniel, who has now started to look better at cornerback, does that allow him to go to nickelback? Or do they stick with Mark Webb and Devod Wilson at nickel and dimeback? That'll be interesting to see. Um, you know, I, I don't mean to pick on Mark Webb and Devod Wilson. It's just they, you know, I mean, they're, they're still relatively young guys, and they're going to be better. They're just guys that are being picked on by the defense because other teams aren't going at Eric. Well, Eric Stokes did allow like a 30-yard play, but um, you know, he, he's still been pretty good. But DJ Daniel being better has really helped. But still, the main thing is the run defense. When, when they are as stout as they are against the run, they can key the pass, and they can take chances on the pass. And they've got some really smart, like I said, heady guys uh, that and experienced guys that know where the ball is going. It's not like they're winning a huge amount of one-on-one plays on the back end or you know, in the front end. They're just getting to the ball. And that that's that's a product of experience. J.R. Reed, Richard LeCount, Tay Crowder, Monty Rice, and then Aziz Ojolari plays like he's a fifth-year senior. He's only a redshirt freshman. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. These guys, the more experience that they get, the better they, they're going to get. You mentioned uh, Daniel. Uh, he's he's really turned on. This was a great game for him, just showing that confidence. And, and this goes back to what I said about having that bye week. You know, I truly believe that with that bye week, they were able to fine-tune a lot of things. They were able to rest themselves mentally, um, look at their keys, get better in their communication. Uh, that's that's probably, I, I guarantee, if you would have watched them practice in that first week, they, they were just going back to fundamentals, going back to uh, get rebuilding that confidence in, in those calls and, and different things that they're trying to do. So I believe that had a major role to play in their success this week. And you mentioned the talent that we have. I mean, we got, uh, you know, we do get Tyson Campbell back. You're exactly right. Uh, even with having the young guys, now we, we have options, which is huge. And then if we're able to continue to stop the run, um, you know, as those DBs continue to develop, that's going to give more opportunities for guys like Aziz Ajilari, for Nolan Smith, uh, for the rest of the crew that on the defensive line to make even more plays because that's when things started to open up for them is when we made them one-dimensional. We got that quarterback on the run. We got them, you know, sitting back in the pocket, and uh, it allowed room for, for guys like him to make plays, uh, Nolan Smith and, and Aziz and the rest of the crew. So, yeah, I'm excited to see the potential and where this defense is going to go. All right, let's finish up by uh, just talking real quick about your weekend. Uh, Rennie, what do you mention? What, what was that like? What was uh, we don't have time for you to go through every minute, but uh, what, what what were the highlights and, and what tell the people what that was like? Oh man, it was it was crazy. Uh, arrived on Thursday and got a chance to share with the uh, Jacksonville Bulldog Club with Vince Dooley. Uh, amazing time, disconnecting with everybody. The uh, event on Friday was magical. Um, there was probably about 300 people there, and so we arrived with our families, signed book, uh, sign of course footballs and all that good stuff. They had like a a sculpture, a bust or whatever you call it, man, of of me and the rest of the guys. Wow. That was crazy. Yeah, I've never was seen. it. Was it good? Was it? It, it looked like me. You know, <laughs> the bust looked pretty handsome. It was the only one smiling. Right. So I was. Uh, <laughs> it it was cool, man. Um, just to receive that honor and to. To know the history of the amount of guys who come through there, man, was really cool. And uh, to be a part of that, uh, got a chance to speak there as well, along with the other guys, Jarvis Jones, Brandon Spikes, Brad Culpepper, AD was there, uh, President uh, Moorhead was there. I mean, so many people. And then, um, of course, Saturday was was nuts. Got a chance to reconnect with Tebow, uh, talk a little bit of smack. (laughs) 
and uh, yeah, hang out with the fans on SEC Nation. Um, and then what else happened, man? Golly, there was there was so much that happened that on the field before the game was was crazy. Um, we got to reconnect with so many guys there as well, guys who I played with, played against from on the Florida side as well, and Georgia. Um, man, it, it was a lot. Got to meet the governor of Florida. Like it was, there was so much, man. Along with the the partying and the tailgating, Champ Bailey had his event, the uh, players' reception. Uh, so got to see him. There, there's just so many things that that happened, and uh, it just reminds me back to when I played because we didn't have any clue that any of that stuff was going on. It was just you get there, you focus on uh, having a big performance, having a big game, and that was kind of it. But you know, seeing all that uh, going on and then getting the win on top of it just uh, was was amazing. It, it topped the weekend off and got a chance to go in the locker room, see the guys, reconnect with them. Um, so many of the guys, man, like Richard LeCount, uh, Jake Fromm, like I've met them when they were like sophomores and juniors. So just getting to see them now where they are, are and the success that they're having, it's, it's awesome to see. And last but not least, I got to end with this. I, I ended the weekend. It's, it started to become a tradition, but took the family out to uh, the Juicy Crab and <laughs> had an amazing meal. So that was how we... The Juicy Crab? Yeah, the Juicy Crab, man. It was. Where is that in Jacksonville? Uh, it's probably like it's probably like 15 minutes from the stadium from, from where the guys played at. But uh, it was, yeah, a little bit outside of the downtown area. Yeah, but man, it was good. We, it's like snow crab legs, shrimp, uh, the sweet corn, potato, the whole boiled deal. So it was it was really good. That was the victory dinner for that night. Yeah, the uh, so I was with my family, too, and I, I take them to uh, Amelia Island every year. Um, my daughter is actually named Amelia. Uh, we like the name, but she is kind of named after the island because my wife and I, uh, we got engaged October 2011. Um, not in Amelia Island, but we went there the next weekend, so it's kind of got good memories for us. We've always gone there, so we named her. We actually, not to get too off the beaten path, but we were actually engaged in the Coverdale parking lot across the street from Stegman Coliseum, which I know you must know that's the most romantic spot on campus. No, but it's not. Um, no, it's just that's where I first saw her. So we got engaged there, and then a week later went to Amelia Island. Um, and uh, had a good time. And then Jeff Schultz and I drove in together to the game and worked our butts off on Saturday. And so while you were having a great meal at Juicy Crab with your family on Saturday night, Jeff and I were filing stories. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you had a good weekend. I, I saw you on the telecast. I'm like, hey, that's my podcast partner. Uh, were, were you out there for the uh, for the coin toss too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was out there for the coin okay. toss and all, all that right. stuff. So much stuff happened. I we got all those little details, but yeah, it was it was great, man. Just to like I said, be out there. It was weird. I noticed dreams. I was. I, I noticed Jarvis. Yeah. I, I noticed Jarvis out there for the coin toss. I'm like, oh, he must be out there for the Hall of Fame thing, and it's it's a little it's mm-hmm. a little weird. Like Jarvis is on the team. He's you know he's yeah. he's a student assistant, but he's also doing these other things. Yeah, yeah. It's it's crazy how you know it all kind of goes by, man. One day you're a player, next next day you're coaching or, or outside looking in so it was it was crazy but it's good to come back under those terms cool well um i'm glad you had a great time uh glad you're in there and what else i mean is there anything else as we're wrapping up here that 
you want to share from that experience? I mean, are there stories that you're not allowed to, like something Tebow said that you're not allowed to tell the public? Or oh no, nah, we're all good. You know, T, me and Tebow are somewhat friends now, so we're not trying to kill each other on the field. Uh, me, me and Brandon Spikes reconnect. I know a lot of Georgia fans hate him uh, and everything with a passion. <laughs> yeah, I, I was gonna say, did he uh, did he gouge you when your conversation, <laughs> nah. or was, was he good? Nah, no gouging at all. It was, it was all you know, all fun games, man. So we, we had a good time. So that's that's how it kind of goes after the the uh, battle is over. So yeah, no, it's that that's something that I think a lot of people also don't understand, even like about there's and i'm i'm not you know we in the media aren't part of the the rela- 